This is one y'all have, uh, y'all have all heard me do before. <coughs> but it's a good one, and I hope that um, if you know it, that you'll be willing to sing along with me. cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all Praise the name of 
And we're going to be in 2 Timothy this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're uh, turning there, I'm going to give you a little advertisement, as the English would say. Uh, next week, we're going to launch a new series, uh, Lord willing. Uh, the title of that series will be Answers in the Wind, and look at seven sermons over the next several weeks on various passages concerning uh, the Holy Spirit. And so that will be a series on the Holy Spirit, uh, His person, uh, His deity, His names, His activities, baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, we'll cover those over a seven-week period. Uh, and then following behind that, again, Lord willing, we're going to preach a series entitled The Perfect Ten, and that will be an 11-week, 11-sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And that will kind of carry us uh, through the end of the year. And um, that Ten Commandments uh, series, I think you'll find that very interesting. We'll do one sermon per commandment and then one additional sermon on their purpose, their place, and their power as a whole. And, um, you know, oftentimes people discount uh, the Ten Commandments and they're not to be discounted. As I was preparing for that, I really originally had intended to launch the Holy Spirit series this week, uh, but the Lord uh, directed me to spend a little time today on the, the idea of the dependability of the Holy Scriptures, the, 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 the dependability of the Bible, and uh, the reason for that is uh, as we look at this information on the Holy Spirit and as we look at this information on the Ten Commandments, uh, both of those topics can be controversial. Both of them can be argumentative, uh, of which I'm not of that nature. But uh, I want us to look at the scriptures this morning and consider how we ought to align ourselves with the scriptures and overcome the trending, uh, the declining trends of the day. Um, for this particular sermon, I want to clarify something real just momentarily. This is not a defense of the scriptures. It's not a lecture on the defense of the scriptures. Uh, simply put, I don't believe the Bible needs a defense. Uh, I, don't, I think it's settled, it's inerrant, it's truth, it's eternal, it's infallible, uh, it is sure. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.12 that it is quick and powerful speaking of the word of God. It is, uh, that means it's living, it's active, it's it's making, uh, it's operative, it is energizing, it is effective, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. Uh, that deals with the completeness of a person. Uh, it, is, uh, it can divide joints and marrow. That is dealing with the deepest parts of nature. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It, it is exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. It can, in other words, defend itself. It doesn't need me to defend it. And so I don't, this is not a defense. Charles Spurgeon makes the comments, very uh, notable comments, been uh, stated many times. Uh, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. You just need to open the cage and let it out. It'll defend itself. Uh, everyone who knows me, uh, 
and that's not everybody, but those that know me understand that I refuse to argue about scriptures. I just won't do it. I think that is one of the activities of the Holy Spirit. You either believe the Word of God or you don't. And there's nothing I can say to make you believe it. The Holy Spirit's got to move in your heart to make that happen. Uh, and so uh, I do my best to understand them. I do my best to teach them. I do my best to explain them to whatever ability the Lord has given me. But I won't argue and I won't debate. And so for that reason, this is not a defense of the Scriptures. This is rather a declaration of the dependability of the Scriptures. Uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read verses 16, excuse me, verses 10 through 17. Another familiar passage of Scripture. But this is where the Lord has directed me this week. Beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and, that, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all, unto all good works. I want to speak to you today about the scriptures being a dependable tool, a dependable tool. Would you pray with me? I ask the Lord to speak to you. Lord, we love you again this morning. Thank you, Father, for all that's taken place thus far. And God, I pray that you would move among us, that your blessed Holy Spirit would illuminate, would God, would teach, challenge, Lord, charge, convict, convert. Father, you know what we are in need of. God, I pray that you would work in only the ways that you can today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to give you a, a brief um, introduction here of this passage, and then we'll spend a little more time in verses 16 and 17. Uh, what you have here, uh, of course, is the, the last writings of the Apostle Paul uh, written to his son in the And in this moment, he is sharing with Timothy some encouragement and exhortation to be faithful uh, to the Word of God. Uh, he begins in verse 10, in verses 10 and 11, uh, Paul shares his testimony. It is really about his deliverance and his testimony. Uh, he does say there, you, you, are, you are fully aware of my doctrine. That is the word, uh, that word there means teaching. Uh, and so Timothy knew exactly what Paul believed because Paul believed exactly what he, he taught what he believed and he believed the word of God. And not only did he teach it, but he said to Timothy, you also know uh, the way I live, my manner of life. Uh, you, you understand uh, my, my teaching, my doctrine, my words, my instructions. Uh, you understand my testimony, which is my conduct, my manner of life, my 
character. Uh, you understand uh, my purpose in life, what motivates me. Uh, he is telling Timothy, look at me, uh, follow me, if you will, as I have followed Christ. I want you to see this is who I am. This is my testimony. He shares with him, you remember my persecutions, my afflictions. He's talking about trials and difficulties. And then lastly, he repeats his theme of life, and it is that out of them all, God delivered me. The Lord has rescued me. Then in verse 12, we shift from this idea of deliverance and testimony, and Paul shares that there is a definite trial or tribulation. It is a granted. It is a guarantee. It is something that you should expect. And he says there, Yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so here he is talking about this inconvenient truth that everyone who will live godly will suffer persecution. In fact, the, the other translations say it this way. I'm quoting ESB and NASB. Uh, they say all who desire to live a godly life uh, and, and that suffering, mean, that means that that suffering is not just commensurate with success, rather it is determined by desire. If you just desire to live a godly life, you're going to incur some trials and some tribulations and some difficulties. It becomes, in many cases, uh, an act of uh, a war of contrition. Your desire is to live a godly life, and so these trials come against you. You have to push back against them, and they push back against you. And you've got to be unwilling to concede. Your contrition is to God. You are contrite in heart, and you are submitted and surrendered unto Him, and you are unwilling to, to uh, let down your guard, and you continue to push it's a guarantee. It's a truth. It is a definitive trial or tribulation, and it will be endured or experienced by all who seek or desire to live in Christ Jesus. So, very quickly, without pausing too long, if there is none of that in your life, you need to check your direction. You might be swimming with the current. The, the third thing that he says uh, in this opening part of this passage, which is driving towards uh, the main point, I'm sorry, my nose is driving me crazy, uh, is in verse 13. He uh, speaks of this declining trend, this trend that is continuing, evil men and seducers, and they, what are they doing? Well, they're going to get worse and worse. And they are deceiving and being deceived. And it's, it's cyclical. It's ongoing. It will continue and continue and continue. It will, it will go from bad to worse and worse and worse. It's, it's also cyclical in this concept. And, and I wish I could develop some of these, but I, I truly want to speak on the latter two verses. It, it is this idea that they are deceivers who become deceived and go on deceiving and continue being deceived. And so they, and, and listen, if you'll look around, you'll see that. 
They, they will, it, it becomes truth to them because they are deceived and they are deceiving others. And the more they deceive others, the more they themselves become deceived. And they get further and further and further away from the truth. And the difficulty to get back to the truth is almost overwhelming. And so we see this declining trend. Bingle, Bingle states it this way. He says, he who has once begun to deceive others is the less easily able to recover himself from error and more easily embraces in turn the errors of others. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's a declining trend. Then he speaks in verses 14 and 15 and I think just out of simplicity, he's talking about the disciples' test. And he, he's speaking uh, here uh, directly to uh, Timothy, but continue thou, he says. He's talking to Timothy. It's, it's a direct uh, speech to him. He's speaking directly to Timothy. But we would re read it as unto all disciples. It, it is written unto all who would live a godly life or all who desire to live unto Christ and he's saying there's there's a test that's going to come well what is the test well the test is to continue that's what you have to do you have to engage and stay engaged you have to continue thou in these things well what things is he wanting us to continue in and by the way you could see that word as remain or reside, or stay, or abide, or endure. But what are we to continue in? Where are we to abide? Where are we to reside? Where are we to remain? Well, we are to do so in the truths that we have believed, that we have learned from those people in our life, like Paul and the spiritual teachers who live according to their teachings in accordance with the revealed truths and from our own personal acquaintance with the sacred writings. That's what he says to Timothy. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned of me, you know, my doctrine, my manner of life, the way I've endured. Continue thou in those things which you have learned, those things uh, that you have been assured of, knowing the person who you learned them from. And earlier in this writing, he referenced his godly grandmother and mother who had introduced him to the scriptures. Continue though, thou in those things and in the holy scriptures which give you wisdom unto salvation. That's the test of the disciple. Can you continue? Will you continue and, and what is the benefit of continuing in the truth? Wisdom unto salvation through faith in Christ. So that's what Paul says very quickly. Listen, this is my testimony. Uh, this is my theme. This is the truth, the one and only truth. This is what's going to occur. There's going to be trials. There's a test. Can you stay consistent in the test? And then lastly, and this is where I want to spend most of our time, he tells him there's a tool. You're, you're not without a tool. 
You're not un, un, uh, unarmed. <laughs> uh, you're not unenabled. Uh, there is a, there's a tool. But what is the tool? Well, the tool is obviously the Word of God. He says so in verses 16 and 17, and he references all of it, all Scripture. And so, so here we are. We are at this place, this dependable tool. Are the Scriptures dependable? Can I live my life even in today's society, maybe we should say, especially in today's society, in complete and utter dependence upon the Word of God, knowing that whatever it says, it says, and it is my uh, responsibility, my lot, to be obedient unto what it says rather than manipulate or reinterpret what it says. I heard a preacher preach this week Many of you know I was up at a conference and I had an opportunity to hear H.B. Charles Jr. preach, did a tremendous job and preached out of Psalm 19 on the Word of God, uh, the God who speaks, and he said of the Bible, uh, it does what it does because it is what it is. That is a theologically brilliant statement. Uh, it, does it do that in your life? Because it, it's capable. That's kind of where we are today. What are we looking at here? Well, the first thing we see is the origin of the scripture or, or the parentage, if you will, of the scripture. And that's the first statement that, that Paul makes there. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the origin of the scriptures. It's, uh, we, we love to rattle off these things, you know, uh, 66 canonical books, uh, but penned over a 1,500 or over a 6,000 year period of time, assembled over 1,500 years, and 40 different authors, and we rattle all these things off. Some of those things are correct, some of them are not. We rattle all this off, all this detail, but the, the Bible, the origin of the Bible is the breath of God. He spoke it. He breathed it. It is God's word. Uh, some would say every letter is read. It's all his word. That's the origin of the scripture here. Paul is answering two questions here in, in simplicity without all of the, the argumentative, debatatory uh, uh, issues. He's answering the question, where did the scriptures come from and can we depend upon them? Well, he says, absolutely, we can absolutely depend upon and trust and believe the scriptures because they are, the word here is theopneustos. That's the word. Now, you may see it as uh, inspired of God, inspiration of God, breathed out by God. Uh, you may see it in any one of those phrases, but all of those phrases is the Greek, theophanistos, and it means God breathed. And so, where did the Bible come from? The breath of God. Every single word. In fact, the argument can be made that a tremendous amount of it was not understood when it was written. They, uh, they, they were breathed upon by God. And, and uh, Peter says it this way, For the prophecy uh, uh, came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And you've heard uh, Doc and others extol this many times. Uh, that is the concept of, of the wind moving a vessel along. It has carried them along. They were just penning it. 
It's God's Word. It's breathed by God. It, it gives that idea that it is the veritable breath of God. And you have all of these come-latelys. And look, the come-latelys have been around for three, four hundred years. And they want to argue about uh, where it came from. And it's got the handprints of man all over it. And if the king ain't on it, the king ain't in it. Give me a break. It's God-breathed. It's God's Word. We're not going to change that with our society or with our culture. There's not somebody going to come along in the last 150, 200 years that's going to change 6,000 years worth of God's Word. It's not going to happen. And listen, this, this idea about when was it put together and all of that, I want you to understand, and again, this is not a defense, but the Old Testament in the condition it's in was in that condition when Christ was walking the earth. It's the same book. The New Testament, in the condition it's in, has been in that form more than 1,700 years. And the, the putting together of the New Testament, there was a rigorous method of canonization. It was not thrown together haphazardly. And I can assure you, if it's not in there, God didn't intend for it to be in there. There's no man put that together. God put that together. It's God-breathed. They argue, but it's a fruitless argument. This is the problem I have with arguing scriptural integrity in order to add to or take away what we have canonized. If you can change one thing, it's all questionable. If you can say, oh, I believe the New Testament, but I don't go for that creation stuff. Well, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're easy prey. You're low-hanging fruit. Because as soon as the, the, the right uh, evil person comes along, they're going to convince you that the gospel's not true either. You better accept it all or, or um, you better accept it all. It's either all true or it's not. And if it's true, it requires response and responsibility. And if it does not require response and responsibility, it is not true. That's the problem with being a casual Christian, an occasional Bible reader, a possessor of the scriptures who is not a possessor of the spirit. That's the problem. It's a crutch to you. It's a good luck charm. It is something you lay on your table, lay on your dash, carry in your hand, but you have none of it in your heart, and you are continually blown about by every wind of doctrine. So is the origin. It's God's word. God breathed. He gave the word. Look, look at what Paul says. This is very simple stuff here. But I just want us to think through these things uh, this morning. The, the next thing that, that Paul talks about in that passage, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And what's the next uh, sentence? And is profitable. All of it's profitable. And so here we see the operation of the scriptures or their profitability. Well, this is, where does that come into play? Well, I said it just a moment ago. Uh, people that are uh, uh, 
Right-handed only, New Testament only. Well, you're, you're leaving a lot of meat on the bone, and you're walking blind, and you don't understand the things that you've been told. Because those things are revealed, or concealed in the New Old Testament. Or that individual that is all left-handed. They're all Old Testament. Judaizers, if you will. You want a term? I said I wasn't going to be controversial. Seven-day Adventist. They're leaning hard on the Old Testament and discounting an awful lot of the New Testament. It's dangerous. And, and I personally don't believe it's Christian. Those organizations and or uh, entities who have written their own book to subsidize Theophnustos. Theirs is not Theophnustos. Theirs is not God-breathed. Theirs is not inspired of God. And so well, what do we do with the Scriptures? Well, the operation of the Scripture, what he says here about their profitability, he's answering these three questions. What is the intended purpose of the Scriptures? What is the proper application of the Scriptures? And how should I respond to the Scriptures? That's what he's answering. And he says it all right here in this one little verse. They are all inspired of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That's the, the operation of the Scripture. What is the Scripture supposed to do in your life? Well, it's supposed to teach you Teaching, that's what doctrine is. And what does teaching do? Well, teaching shows us what is right. It shows us the truth. This is the right thing. The purpose of scriptures, the very first purpose of scripture is for our learning. They are for our development. They are for our wisdom. This is probably the greatest condemnation on the 20th and 21st century church is ignorance of the Word of God. The, the, this ignorance is of our own doing. It was not imposed by the clerisy or the, the papacy or the priesthood. It was not imposed by the government. We had it and chose not to read it. Do you know what happens if you take a Bible to China they rip it up in pieces and distribute it among the believers so that all of them can have a little bit of it. And then they memorize the little bit they get and they pass it to somebody else. Because the government has imposed upon them a dearth of truth and scripture. We've not had that in America. We just willingly didn't learn it. We just chose not to read it. We just chose not to apply it. it. It is an ignorance. And so what happens because of that ignorance is we, the, the, the church, if you will, but we would probably be better to call it Christendom, become easy prey. We are, as a whole, Christendom is a low-hanging fruit. How many times have you met a Mormon that said to you, I used to be a Baptist? Raise your hand if you've heard that. How many times have you met a Jehovah's Witness that said, I used to be a Baptist? How many times have you met a Seventh-day Adventist that said, I used to be a Baptist? Happens all the time. Why? 
Because we don't read the Word of God. We're not instructed by the Word of God. We know what the preacher said. We know what somebody on TV said. We know what the radio said. We know what our three-line devotional said with a prescribed prayer. But we don't know what it says. This, this ignorance makes us low-hanging fruit, easy prey for the enemy. We become cannon fodder for the cults. They have, they have populated the cults with people who were raised in Christian atmospheres. And then we become pawns of the prince of the power of the air. We're deceived, suffer all sorts of spiritual maladies, become deceivers ourselves. But we just learned this last week. Repentance is obedience. Paul says, of the word of God, all scriptures give my inspiration to God and it's profitable for doctrine. So what should I do with that? I should read it intentionally and intensely seeking to be instructed, taught out of the word of God. All we need, all we need to do is see the blessings of God, the increase of God in our lives, get sincere and be desire about, uh, uh, with, a, with our desire to learn from the scriptures. Let me, let me ask you this. It's not true. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just asking you, what if, what if your eternal destination depended upon your aptitude of the scriptures? What if it wasn't all paid for on the cross? What if it wasn't a free gift? What if it wasn't by grace through faith? What if it was when you get to the pearly gates that is in every off-colored Christian joke and you meet St. Peter who is in every one of those jokes, he said to you, give me a synopsis of the Old Testament. How's that settle with you? It should terrify most of us. It should really frighten us. It's not, praise the Lord, it's not. But what if it were? So once we begin to consume the word in our lives, the second thing occurs. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof. Well, what is, what is reproof? Well, a proof could be re rebuke or reprimand, depending on what you're holding. They all mean the same thing. It shows us where we're wrong. You, you read the scripture to learn what is right. And then in considering what is right, you see where you're wrong. James said the Bible is a mirror. Looking in it, you should see yourself and fix what's wrong. Paraphrase. And so we, we have this idea of reproof. And honestly, the next one uh, goes hand in hand with reproof. Uh, there he says for correction. So instruction, doctrine, shows us what is right. Reproof shows us what is wrong. Correction helps us turn the wrong into right. 
Oh, I, uh, oh, I don't. I wasn't created for my own glory. I was created to honor and glorify God. Am I honoring and glorifying God? I need to fix that. Oh, I'm not an independent agent. I'm not here to serve me and me alone. Oh, my life is not about me. Oh, all of my money is not mine. I need to fix that. God, thank you for showing me that, Lord. That's reproof and correction. Shows you what's wrong and turns it into right. And then he says there, training in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. But what does instruction in righteousness do? Well, once it shows you what's right, shows you how you're wrong, corrects the wrong, it helps you stay right. Oh, I'm not going to do that again because I did that and I fell under the conviction of the word of God because that was not the right thing to do. So I'm not going to do that anymore because according to 1 John 1.9, if I will agree with him about how bad it is and stop doing it, he will cleanse me and I don't want to go do that again. So now I'm going to stay right. Am I 100% right? No, not in the flesh you are not. But you should be more right today than you were a year ago. <laughs> you should be more right today than you were five years ago. And next year ought to show improvement as well. If the wicked are getting worse and worse, the righteous should get better and better. Shows us what's wrong, helps us turn wrong into right, helps us keep right. It is incorrect and uninformed to say that you cannot understand or comprehend the scripture, but it is said all the time by people who are born again. And, and I'm not picking on any particular individual. I mean, I know that you, somebody in here probably has said it to me, and you may have said it lately, and you think I just included you in my sermon. That's not the case. You weren't the first one to say it to me. You won't be the last one. There's been hundreds to say it to me. And I'm nobody. There's other guys that have had it said by thousands. It's incorrect. It's uninformed to say that you cannot comprehend the scriptures. It is inappropriate to believe that the scriptures are locked or that they're hidden or that they're mysterious or that there's some kind of mystical key which only certain people possess. The scriptures are given to all who seek to live and desire to live a godly life. They're given to all, and they are open to all so that we might know him, and we might know his power, his plans, and his purpose for our life. They can be known, they can be understood, they can be comprehended. They are profitable to every born-again believer. Because if you were born again, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the wind, the breath of God, who originally breathed the scriptures to begin with. He wrote it. He'll teach it. What are the scriptures? What cannot the scriptures be? They cannot be exhausted. They cannot be eliminated. They, they cannot be evoked as some form of charm or incantation. When my children were smaller, sometimes they would have a nightmare. Or they probably watched something they weren't supposed to, and they were afraid when they were trying to go to sleep. So they would start quoting Bible scriptures. 
which I appreciate, but that's the wrong application of Bible Scripture. They're not some incantation. They're not some charm, some spell. They're very specifically written for our learning to correct us and to keep us right. That's what they're there for. The, the question then is, when is the last time that you learned, read, or heard a truth in the Scripture that directly contradicted an action, an attitude, or a belief that you held? Because that's what they should be doing. There should be opposition in the Scriptures. And when you read it, you should walk away from it thinking, that stung a little bit. Even you, preacher, especially. I'm like Paul. I'm the worst of all of you. Especially. It should be that with every person. When's the last time you stood rebuked and corrected by the word of God? When is the last time you directly applied the word of God to your own life and found yourself in need of repentance? When's the last time you heard a sermon that was scripturally correct and you thought to yourself, God, that's exactly what I needed to hear today? Because this is what you usually think. I wish so-and-so was here. I wish old what's-his-name was here. He needed to hear that today. <laughs> Lastly, we see the outcome of the scriptures, their proficiency. He answers three questions. What do they provide? What do they accomplish? And what do they allow? And I, I'm, we're, we're out of time, and so this is what they provide. Wisdom unto salvation. Scriptures provide wisdom unto salvation. They provide completion, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, completion, perfection, maturity. That's what they provide. Lastly, what do they allow? Uh, equipping unto all good works. This, you want to enable yourself to serve in the church? And you say, well, no, not really. Well, that's the question. Do you want to enable yourself to serve in the church, to minister in the body of Christ? Right here is where you're going to figure it out. This is where you're going to learn it. This is where you're going to discover what your gifts are, what your abilities are, what the needs are in the local assembly, how you fulfill those needs right here. It's right here. But this is what you got to do. You got to read it for instruction and then you've got to take it as rebuke, and you have to apply it as correction, and you have to walk in it as righteousness. Amen. This is the, the closing question. What, what, is the, what in your life, there's a struggle. Everybody's got one. What struggle in your life are you contending with that you can't get victory over? Can I tell you where the victory's at? It's right here. It's right here. Well, I've been praying about it. Well, have you been praying through the scriptures about it? Because it's right here. What area of faith are you contending with that you just can't settle? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's in the Bible. You don't need me. I appreciate you wanting me. You don't need me. You need the Bible. You need to read the Bible diligently. How integrated in the family of God are you? How integral a part have you become in the life of the body? What gifting has God equipped you with that the local assembly is an obvious need of? 
What is your response to the word of God today? Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know if you know or not, but the altar is not broken. It still works and it is open. And you can do business with the Lord right where you are, and I completely understand that. But you can also do business with God in the altar. And so doing your good works, your movement could encourage. I don't know your need. I know the need of the body is the word of God. I encourage you this morning to deal with the Lord. Where are you in standing with the word of God? Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name.